0: Peace on earth is our theme of this particular Christmas message this morning. Uh, Peace on earth, we've sung about it already. There are many Christmas carols that allude to this wonderful thought. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Or, It came upon a midnight clear that glorious song of old from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Peace on earth, good well to men. From heavens, all gracious king, the world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. Or while shepherds watched their flocks by night all seated on the ground, the angel of the Lord came down and glory shone around and glory shone around. All glory be to God on high and to the earth be peace. Goodwill henceforth from heaven to men. Begin and never cease. Begin and never cease. Oh yes, peace on earth is a theme of Christmas. But those who study such things report that there have only been 286 warless years in all of human history. 286 years that were warless in all of human history. Those who study these things also note that in all of human history, there have been over 8,000 peace treaties that have been broken. Hmm. We aren't good at global peace. In fact, we're terrible at it. Turn your Bibles or your devices to Luke chapter 2. Our text today is Luke 2, verses 8 through 14. Hear the word of God. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Peace on earth. And so, the question we asked this morning is Was the angel's statement that night about peace on earth, was it legend? Was it fairy tale? Was it wistful hope? Was it a farce? Or was it, dare we say, an error? Did the angel choir get it wrong. Did they change heaven's real message to the one they sang without authorization? Well, realistically this morning, we admit that we are about as far away from peace on earth as heaven, as we are as far from heaven where the angels live. Put another, right? This morning, we are about as far away from peace on earth as we are from Pluto. Of course, mankind wants peace, peace signs on bumper stickers and peace signs on T-shirts and peace conferences and peace symposiums and peace protests and peace marches and peace treaties and the Peace Corps and the UN. (laughs) Oh, it's not that we don't want peace, but still there's no peace on earth. And so is God mocking us? Has he promised that night over 2,000 years ago something he is unable to produce or unwilling to produce, namely peace on earth? Was Bethlehem the setting for just another feel-good myth or a fairy tale? The setting for what would be nice but would actually be impossible? Were the angels' words not to be taken literally was the message of the angelic choir meaningless platitude? Or was it rock-solid assurance that we can take to the bank? A beam of light in our grossly darkened world? Well, for sure, the world that cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ out of everything, for sure the world will never, ever generate or find peace because the world is looking for it in the wrong place. The world is seeking purely superficial peace, the cessation of armed aggression and hostility, a ceasefire, nuclear disarmament. There will not be this kind of peace that the world wants because the world fails to get to the root of the enmity and the strife and the lust for power and dominance. The world hopes to achieve peace through organizing its own resources, but in all of history, organizing for peace, however high its ideals and however noble its aims, has never been able to bring in peace on a large scale. Never. Ah, but the Bible, the Bible always associates peace with God. The Bible consistently links peace with God. The Bible always shows that God is the cause and the effect is peace. So if any of us rule out God, we rule out any possibility of peace. If we remove God from the picture, then you get a soup of suspicion and selfishness which is on low heat only until it boils over into weapons and war. Totally missing the point. The world, the system that cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ out of everything, the world calls the soup not yet boiled over peace. But When it comes to world peace, of course, the problem is with us and not with God. Mankind hopes for and works for peace on its own terms, but peace will only come on God's terms. And what are God's terms for peace? Well, we come back to our text, Luke 2, 8 to 14, and I'm going to preview two sections of this one passage and then we'll explain them. The first section of the passage, verses 8 through 12, we see tidings of salvation. Tidings of salvation. In the second portion of this text, verses 13 and 14, we see tidings of peace. And the order of these two kinds of tidings is essential. You must have tidings of salvation before you have any hope to have tidings of peace. You must understand and experience salvation before you can understand and experience peace. The order is crucial. Peace with God always comes before the peace of God. I can't teach any of you Italian, because I don't speak any Italian. I can't give you something I don't possess. We have to have salvation before we can have peace. Peace with God always comes before the peace of God. Now to unpack this text in Luke 2, I want to ask and answer four questions. Beginning with the questions to do with the tidings of salvation. In other words, four questions that verses 8 to 12 will answer for us. Question one. Why does mankind need a savior? Well, mankind Let me state the obvious. Mankind is all the sum total of all the individual humans who are on earth today. We have a mankind because we have billions of individual human beings on earth today. And all those aggregate add together to become what we call mankind. And Romans 3.23, a verse that many of you know and memorize and use, makes it very clear that every single human being doesn't measure up to God's righteous perfection. And because every single one of us doesn't measure up to God's righteous perfection, then mankind doesn't measure up to God's righteous perfection either. That's why we need a savior. It's Romans 3.23, as you know, says, for all have sinned, transgressed, trespassed, For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And because of this, mankind collectively, but individual human beings, five billion of us worth, we need a Savior. Because individually and collectively, we fall short of God. We rebel against God. We contend with God. We offend God. We try to be God. We try to change God. We try to deny God. We do not have peace with God left to ourselves. We need a savior. And there is an immense canyon, a fixed canyon between holy God and sinners, a fixed canyon between righteous God and depraved mankind. And the canyon is caused not by God. The canyon is caused by us as sinners, there's a fixed canyon between holy God and all of us sinners and therefore mankind and individual five billion human beings need desperately a savior. Second question, who can bridge this canyon and bring mankind and God together? Who can bring peace with God for us The answer, of course, is the God-man, the miracle of Christmas, the hypostatic union, the fusion of 100% deity with 100% humanity, the incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us. He is the only one who can bridge this canyon between us as a sinful mankind and God as a holy trinity, and this necessitated The Lord Jesus Christ stepping across the galaxies and the planetary bodies that he spoke into existence by the word of his mouth, stepping across all of his uh, creation to come to this dusty old tennis ball called Earth to pitch his tent amongst us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, was the only one and is the only one who can bridge the canyon between a holy God and a sinful planet of human beings. And to do this, Jesus Christ, eternal God, without beginning, had to be born of a virgin so that he would be given human flesh, so that he would be given human bones, so he'd be given human blood, perfect blood, sin-atoning blood, propitiary blood. And of course, Christmas, or we call it the incarnation and the virgin birth, all of these came to pass because the Savior was born to die to pay for sin. The bridge for the canyon between holy God and sinful humans is only one bridge, Christ. Question three, where was this peace with God made? Where was this peace with God made? Well, it wasn't made at Bethlehem. It was made at Calvary. The peace that we need and the peace that God provides was made at Calvary. In Colossians chapter one, verse 20, I'll pick it up at 19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness To dwell in Him, that is Jesus Christ. And through Him, that is Jesus Christ, to reconcile all things to Himself, having been made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Verse 20 again. And through Him, Christ, to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace Through the blood of his cross. Oh yes, the only peace that ever will be made between the chasm of sinners and the canyon between them and God is the peace that Jesus Christ won through the shedding of his blood. But that peace that we're longing for and so desperately needing, a vertical peace between us and a holy God, between us as sinners, and the gulf between us and a holy God, that peace has another aspect to it. For when we trust Christ, when we believe in Christ, when we walk after Christ, when we obey Christ, when we magnify Christ, when Christ is our life, we have peace horizontally as well in ephesians chapter 2 the context here is the debate the animosity between jews and gentiles and the point of the passage is that jesus christ brought peace between believing gentiles and believing jews and the partitioning of the jewish temple and the courtyard and such were taken away solved fixed by Jesus Christ giving peace both to believing Gentiles and peace to believing Jews, and so therefore they could have peace with each other. We have vertical peace with holy God through Christ, and we can have vertical peace through different ethnicities in the church of Jesus Christ because of Christ. Ephesians two fourteen to 17, for he himself, Jesus Christ, is our peace, who made both groups, that is Jews and Gentiles, into one, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, that he himself might make the two into one, the believing Gentile and the believing Jew, into one. One new man, it says, thus establishing peace. Thus establishing peace. Peace on earth? Yeah. Vertically, the canyon between holy God and us sinners, Jesus Christ is the peace for that. Horizontally, peace between ethnicities, Jewish or Gentile. When there's Jewish believers in Christ and Gentile believers in Christ, Jesus Christ brings a peace between us in the church. Oh, yes, peace on earth. Where was this peace made? Not in Bethlehem, but at Calvary. And please know this, that Christ has not brought about peace with mere external action or mere rearrangement. No, his peace was and his peace still is his very person. Peace is a person. Peace is Christ. Now, this is important. Christ is not merely a peacemaker. He himself is our peace. He is, in fact, the prince of peace. To receive him, you gain peace. And he, Jesus, is the prerequisite for having peace, the peace of God. Yoga, uh, tranquil music, recordings of calming sounds in nature, these don't bring the peace of God. Life insurance, money in the bank, enough basics of life. These also don't bring the core, powerful, supernatural, non-circumstantially tied peace that only Jesus can bring. Shortly after Dorian, I was in my office and a man came to see me. He told me that his common-law wife went into the hospital a month ago and she could walk and she came out two weeks later and she only could walk with a walker. And then she went into the hospital again and two weeks later she couldn't walk at all. He told me that they have two children under 12 years old. He does not have a job. They had no food. He was a new man to me. I'd never met him. And I said to him, And I don't recall much ever asking this question, but the Lord gave me the question. I said, sir, what would you say is your greatest need? He looked me right in the eyes. And he said, peace. I need peace. I have no peace falling asleep at night. I have no peace when I wake up in the middle of the night. I have no peace when I get out of bed to start my day. I have no peace in my day. I need peace. I said, I happen to know the Prince of Peace. May I please introduce him to you? And we knelt by my couch in my study, and I had the precious privilege of helping this gentleman trust the Prince of Peace for salvation from sin and then for everything else that is chaotic in his life. To receive Christ is to gain peace. And Jesus Christ is the prerequisite for having the peace of God that is not wrapped up, tied up in, based in pleasant circumstances. If I opened this for testimony and said, how many of you are experiencing the peace of Jesus Christ and have terrible circumstances right now in your life? Many hands would go up because the peace of Christ isn't based on pleasant circumstances. The peace of Christ transcends bad experiences. The Savior in the ship at sea in the storm, they could know peace because Jesus was in their boat. And so as I've said, it turns out that peace is a person. Jesus He's who's the one of the theme of the angel's song, and he who was the discovery of the shepherd's search, and he who was the recipient of the wise men's worship. Yes, peace is a person. If you're looking for peace outside of Jesus Christ, you may find something, but it won't be God's peace. And right now, Jesus Christ brings peace to each and every heart which will trust him for salvation. But in the future, Jesus Christ will bring peace on earth, first in the thousand-year millennial kingdom and then forever in the new heaven and the new earth. And so I repeat, real peace comes from God. God took the initiative to make it possible. God has that as his idea. God works it out, and God paid the price, and such peace is not a truce. It's not a ceasefire, it's reconciliation. This chasm and canyon I've been speaking about where you have a holy, perfect, righteous God and fallen, transgressing sinners like me and you, this fixed canyon between the two, reconciliation means that God in mercy, in creativity, in miracle, came all the way to us because we couldn't come an inch toward him. We were dead and trespassing sins. And so, the reconciliation of the gospel is not that we came halfway to God and God came halfway to us and we shook hands and everything was fine. No. The reconciliation that Jesus Christ won on the cross of Calvary by shedding his blood was taking holy, perfect God, came all the way to me and you in our sin estate and our spiritual deadness. That's a miracle. That's a miracle of love. That's a miracle of grace. That's a miracle of mercy. Never get over it. <laughs> you are going to spend Christmas with some of you who are going to spend Christmas in your places of residence, partying and celebrating Jesus' birth. That's great, but there are going to be people at some of your tables who are over here. They don't know Jesus' as Savior. For some of them, He's a curse word. Brother, he's a good luck charm. Brother, he's just some person you can model your life after. Don't forget the fact the only reason you know better than that is that God in Christ came all the way to you. So you need to help your family and your friends know that God in Christ has come all the way to them. But they must trust him, transfer their trust to him and only him to be their Lord and Savior. We have a message to share. And Christmas is a time when many of our family and business associates and neighbors have their ears a little open to hear the message. Don't miss the opportunity. All these ministries and Christmas things that we're doing as a church, we're pleased to worship Jesus Christ by doing them. But we don't just do them for ourselves, I hope. We should be inviting our neighbors, our family, our friends, our coworkers to the events of December. They'll hear the way of salvation. They'll hear that although they are dead in trespass and sin, a loving God has come all the way to Him and them in Christ. If you bring your family, friends, etc., to these December events in prayer, they will come to know Christ, whom to know is life eternal. And so such peace, the peace of God, the peace that Jesus Christ wins vertically and horizontally, is not a truce. Between us and heaven, it's a reconciliation. <laughs> We're in mercy and miracle. God came all the way to us. First with a little baby, put in a feeding trough, who grew up sinless. Had three years of public ministry, raising the dead, healing the sick, teaching the truth. Amazing. Now, this, this uh, reconciliation, this peace that God has won through being reconciled to us and us to him is not cheap. It costs God the Father a great deal. It costs God the Father his only begotten son. I've told you before that Beth and I have one son, J.D., and no matter who you are, no matter how much I love any one of you, there's nobody on planet Earth that I would let my son die for. Sorry. But God sent his only son. He sent the best. And it cost the heavenly father everything. And there in Gethsemane, in the olive tree garden, outside the ancient wall of Jerusalem, and on the other side of the Kidron Valley, Jesus Christ bowed and prayed. You know what he prayed. If it's possible, take this cup from me but not my will, but thine be done. This peace of God, peace with God, cost the Father everything, and it cost the Son everything for the first time in all of time, space, history, real time. God the Father was alienated temporarily from God the Son because God the Son bore, carried, your sins and my sins, all the vileness of each of us were peeped upon the Lord Jesus on the cross and the sky went black night, although it was the middle of the afternoon and the graves in Jerusalem shook so violently in an earthquake that dead people rose again from the dead to die again eventually. And the curtain in the temple to the Holy of Holies, the Jewish temple, was torn in two from top to bottom, although Josephus tells us they hitched up workhorses to test that curtain to make sure it couldn't rip before they installed it. This piece, this cross was costly, heartbreaking, expensive. Don't ever marginalize it. Don't ever minimize it. Don't ever go mute about it. And logically... When we think about it, this wonderful peace had to be made before it could be proclaimed, right? It had to be made before it could be received. And it was made, as I've said, at Calvary. Our fourth and last question. How do we know that there is now peace with God in heaven? That's a good question. How do we know that now there is peace with God in heaven for those who believe on his son? Or can we know that? Are we just hopeful that that's true? No, God has told us historically that there's proof that that's true. If you've trusted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you can know that you have peace with God. You know how the proof of that? The resurrection. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that there is peace with God for believers in Christ, a peace that already exists in heaven. Romans 4, 25. He... Christ, who was delivered up to the cross because of our transgressions and was raised in bodily resurrection because of our justification. So listen to me, please. This is saying Jesus Christ was delivered up to the cross only and principally and because of our transgressions. If we had no transgressions, he would not have been put on the cross, but we had plenty of transgressions, so he was put on the cross necessarily. This also says... If we were not justified, declared innocent, accepted in the beloved by the work of Christ on the cross, then the Father never would have raised Jesus from the dead after the cross. But the Father did raise Jesus from the dead after the cross. And because he did, we can know proof positive, his story, that we've been justified. We have peace with God. Heaven is not angry anymore. We're accepted in the beloved adopted as sons and daughters of God, joint heirs with Christ, temples for the Holy Spirit. Amazing. And so how do we know that there's now peace with God in heaven? We know by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He who was delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification, verse 1 of chapter 5, therefore, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's step back from this. Having seen that this peacemaking costs the Godhead so much, we must face the facts that we can't begin to pay for it. If I had a lot of money and I knew that you really needed a car, and I went down to a local car dealership in Nassau, and I bought a BMW for you, and I paid cash. And I drove up to your house on Christmas day, and I say, hey, I know you've needed a car. God has blessed me, and here's your car. Here's the keys, and here's the title. What? Brand new 2020 BMW, it's all yours. Use it in good health. Give glory to God. What would happen? you're letting that sink in. What would happen if you reached into your wallet and said, Pastor, wait, wait, wait. I have $100 for Christmas. Hey, let me help you pay for it. That would be an insult for a $40,000, $50,000 vehicle, right? That you would want to give me $100? What is already paid for as a gift? And so it is with Salvation. It cost the Godhead everything, but we need to pay nothing. This peace is God's gift to be received, not something to be earned, not something to be bought. Oh, there are churches that teach that you can somehow buy this peace. Religious morality, good works, giving money to the poor and paying a priest to pray for you. They don't buy peace with God putting down a $20 bill for a $50,000 automobile. Well, these thoughts in the text are the t- to do with the tidings of salvation. Quickly, let's turn from the tidings of salvation to the tidings of peace because you can only have tidings of peace if you first have tidings of salvation. And the tidings of peace are in two verses, 13 and 14. And suddenly... There appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. That's a tiding of peace. Glory to God in the highest and on peace among men with whom he is pleased. Will you please note that this is not a universal declaration of peace on earth. No, it is a declaration of a potential peace, of a limited peace, of a provisional peace, of a qualified peace. So please don't miss the fact that this is peace only among those persons who acknowledge that Jesus Christ is their own personal Lord and Savior because only such persons who acknowledge Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior are pleasing to God. I wasn't pleasing to God before I got saved and neither were you. Only saved people are pleasing to God. Now, there's something very important that we could easily miss, so thanks for sticking with me as I share this. When the Lord God graces a believer with peace with him, he demands that such a believer be at peace with others. Whether those other persons are inside an assembly or outside of an assembly. In Romans chapter 12 is a very interesting verse, a challenging verse, a practical verse. And it says in Romans 12, verse 18, this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Now think that through with me. First of all, it is not always going to be possible for us to live at peace with someone. Some people don't want to live at peace with us. So it says, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Guess what? I have a great neighbor at the parsonage on both sides, so this is purely a hypothetical uh, illustration. If any of those neighbors on either side of the parsonage were really, uh, really dirty in their yard and loud with their bad music, I can't change that. I can only keep my yard on the other side of the fence between me and them. I only keep my yard clean and tidy and my music low or no music outside at all, right? If possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. So my question is, are you not at peace with anybody? Maybe the person beside you in the bed Maybe the people at your kitchen table. Maybe a brother or sister in this auditorium sanctuary each week. Maybe a person beside you at your workstation at work. Maybe your boss. Maybe the police. Is there anyone you are living not at peace with? if you have been the recipient of God's peace in Christ, if the canyon between you and holy God has been bridged by God coming to you and you now have peace with God, you're justified, then God calls you to be at peace with others. You don't know that person, Pastor Rob. No, I don't. doesn't excuse you from obeying. If possible... So far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. You don't know her, Pastor Rob. No, I probably don't. But you're still obliged to export peace. When you have peace with God vertically, you have to be at peace horizontally if you can. Oh, she'll never make peace with me. How do you know? When did you last ask? Oh, he'll never, he's not interested in peace with me, I know. When did you last ask? If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. All men or women. And so what we're seeing in this message on peace on earth is that really... At the root of it all, God is not asking us to be peacemakers first. He's asking us to be peacetakers first. And once we take up on his peace, then we can make peace. I can't teach you Italian. He said, I don't know Italian. But I know the peace of God, so I better be at peace with all of you. Now, if you're here this morning, and I don't know what anyone is, but if by any chance anyone's here this morning, and you are unconvinced about Jesus Christ, maybe you've heard about Jesus Christ all your life. Maybe your wife knows Christ, or maybe your husband knows Christ, or your Grammy knows Christ, or your friend knows Christ, and really, maybe you don't even know why you're here this morning. But the truth is, right now, as you sit there, you're unconvinced about Jesus Christ, Here's God's question for you. Will you give up trying to make peace with God for yourself? Will you come to the end of trying to make peace with God by being religious or philanthropic or nice? Right now, if you are unconvinced about Jesus Christ, you can accept the peace which is made been made possible for you in the person and the work of Christ. But the peace of God, like any other gift, is not yours until you receive it. There will be presents under our tree that Beth will put there for me. And I can know about the present. I can shake the present. I can be grateful for the present unopened. But until I open that box, until I take the paper off that box and start to see what the gift is, it's not my gift. We've been hearing about the peace of God. And for the unconvinced about Jesus Christ, you can hear all about the peace of God. But if you don't have the peace of God, you must have it. And you get it through Christ. You get it through believing that you're a sinner spanned by a fixed gulf between your sinfulness and God's holiness. And you understand that Jesus Christ, in love and obedience and humiliation, came to you all the way on the cross and paid for all your sin debts to God. And then you accept that as being truth, history. And you place your full and complete trust as a little child would, your full and complete trust on the finished work of Christ. My prayer this week has been that any who would be here today unconvinced about Christ would not leave here unconvinced about Christ. In closing, true peace won't come through organization or reformation or legislation or education or protestation. True peace will only come through regeneration. Regeneration is God's grace work of giving a believer in his son, Jesus Christ, spiritual life where there had been spiritual death because Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And again, true peace will only come through regeneration. Because true peace is a person. It's not a program. It's not a paycheck. It's not a place. True peace is a person. I like the realistic Christmas song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Very realistic. In part, the lyrics go, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, good will to men. Here's the real realism part of it. And then in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, good will to men. True peace is a person, his name is Jesus. Those who have Jesus have peace with God. Those who have Jesus have peace within themselves. Those who have Jesus have peace within themselves and others in the church. And those that have the peace of God in Christ have peace with others outside of the church. And in closing, it gives me no pleasure to state that those without Jesus will not have any true peace, whether on earth or in the lake of fire. Peace on earth. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful lesson that you have taught us through your word of your peace Offered to rebels like each of us. Thank you that when we accept the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ by faith as Lord and Savior, that we have peace within ourselves and peace to export to others as well. Thank you that we have a place to look of peace, which is the cross. We have a person of peace, the Savior. We have a proclamation of peace, the gospel, and we have the possession of peace in our hearts and minds. And Lord, give us the practice of peace And where there is strife, may we bring peace. Where there is bitterness and unforgiveness, suspicion, prejudice, may we inject peace. Because you injected each of us with peace in Christ when you saved us. Thank you, Lord, for such a miracle. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.